Yeah, so good morning one more time. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you're such a great group. Uh, I really mean that. Um, open your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. As most of you know, we're in a series uh, called Living in Our Father's House that we started back in September, on September 10th. We're in week number eight this week, and we're, we're following on in, in this series, and, and we, we've, yeah, we, we've noted a few things about this. Uh, last week, Rudy began chapter four, which is really uh, a turn in the subject matter and the approach that Paul is making in his letter to his protege, Timothy. First three chapters, uh, a lot of teaching about various difficult subjects for some people, but also about false teachers. And uh, yeah, it just keeps going on and on about the battle that's going on out there, spiritual warfare with false teachers, uh, something that Paul just keeps repeating as we're going to see again today. Uh, and it is something that, uh, it's a subject we just can't seem to avoid. I know sometimes we're asking ourselves, what, when are we, we going to talk about, you know, let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. It, it's, it's wonderful, right? It is. I know. I, I agree with you. But there's a reason why Paul is doing this. And I just want to state this today very clearly that um, we're in a war. We're, we're in a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And so these things happen. And, and it, it's one thing to be just like, oh, you know, like oblivious to it. Uh, well, fine, but not so. Because when it comes upon us or comes upon you, you need to be prepared. So this new section from chapters four to six focus on Paul's encouragement and mentorship, discipleship of his protege, Timothy, as, listen, a pastor and shepherd of the flock. And so as we've been saying since the beginning, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, which we're going through this fall, Lord willing, 2 Timothy in the new year, and then Titus as we wind up the season, uh, are called the pastoral epistles. And they're called that for an extremely good reason. And so some people might say, again, like, well, okay, Glenn, you should read them, <laughs> and, and whatever. But but they're written to Timothy to encourage him to mentor and disciple him as a pastor leader, but also so that the church might see what that's all about. And, and, and also the church might learn about that because, listen, uh, we're not professionals. Pastors are not the people who are supposed to be holier than everyone else. I mean, well, maybe they should be with character and all the rest of it, but it's really intended for all of us to learn what it means to be a leader. And so these are historical theological, and, and a personal window, I want to suggest to you, into the calling and the life of leaders in the church, and specifically pastors. So last week, we looked at, into the first five verses of chapter four, and we heard Paul through a rather robust sermon by Rudy. Amen? <laughs> yeah, we heard Paul give t- Timothy, listen, one more thing to worry about. He gave him another thing to worry about. Right at the beginning, he said, this is in verse 1, the Spirit expressly says, in later days, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What days? Later days. Typically in the scripture, that means in the days to come. And it's in a, it's in a present perfect tense, meaning it's going to keep happening. When? Until Christ returns. And that's his warning to him. And so it's a little bit like, it's sort of like he says to Timothy, yeah, Timothy, listen, I, I love you. You're doing a great job. But listen, despite the fact that, you know, you're giving your best efforts, you're, despite your good leadership, d- despite your pastoral heart, your anointed preaching, despite all that, you're going to lose some people. That's encouraging. But he's just warning him. He's telling him the truth. 
that that is what is going to happen. So at this point, Paul knows Timothy needs some encouragement. Go figure, right? Go figure. Encouragement to do what he told him to do in the very opening words of this letter. I urge you, remain in Ephesus. Why? Well, he's been receiving letters from Timothy, Timothy asking him for help, telling him the struggles that he's enduring, and Paul's going, listen, don't quit. Don't give up. I urge you, remain there. As we're going to see, it's because, look, hands have been laid on you. You're anointed. You're appointed. I know you're young. Let's read our text for today, beginning in verse 6 all the way to verse 16, and then I will pray one more time. Timothy. If you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, pastor. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much for, ah, oh, what a beautiful day. What a, what a day to wake up and, and see the blue and the green and uh, the mountains. See your creation. Um, see your power and your majesty and your glory. Lord, we thank you that you've called us here, just a few of us here today, to, to be together, to love one another, to serve one another to disciple our children upstairs, to hear your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray today that you would use the thoughts and, and uh, things that you've, you've shown me from this text this past week, past couple of weeks. And I pray, Lord, it would be a blessing to everyone who's here hearing these words and that there would be light in their own lives and their own hearts from these things I pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I've said, um, this letter is literally a window into the life of a young pastor. It, it's, it's a letter that actually gives us access into his life. If we spend the time to read it and you know, meditate on it and think about, okay, what did he write to Paul? We don't know exactly what he wrote to Paul, but Paul is clearly responding to things. And I also want to suggest to you that this is the life of most pastors to this day. Not much has changed. We've already learned a fair bit about the challenges he's faced from false teachers, which can make ministry feel like you're constantly putting out fires. We've also heard Paul's instruction to Timothy related to the roles of men and women in the church, 
the importance of prayer and then the offices of elders and deacons. We learned about the fact that they are to be leaders of character. The qualifications are all character, godliness qualifications. Very, very high calling. And so we learned from that that leadership in the local church is incredibly important. So speaking of a window, uh, here's one into every pastor's life, mine as well. I remember sitting here last week uh, listening to Rudy preach, and like the rest of us, I giggled a few times because it was, it, was, it was wonderfully funny at times. But one of the main reasons why I was giggling is that I, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me something specific the week before that about this text for today, and I hear him going on about certain things, and I'm like, he didn't know, but the Holy Spirit did. And it was super encouraging to, to, to sense that. So here, here's the way it works for most pastors who preach through books of the Bible like we do here at the Rock Church. Um, besides a lot of prayer over the text, read the text. Usually Sunday night after preaching on a Sunday morning, I'll go home and I'll read the text for next week. Just put it in here, right? One more time. I've read it many times. We'll put it in here one more time. And then pray over it and meditate over it. And then when I begin looking at it on Tuesday, because Monday's Sabbath rest, the first thing that I do and most pastors will do or preachers will do is try to determine what the author's intent was. In other words, try to determine what Paul was actually trying to say. Well, you know, you need to know a little bit about Paul. You need to know a little bit about the context. And so that's the first thing you're looking at is what is the author, in this case, Paul, trying to actually say? Why? Because I'm going to try to expose that to you. And then secondly, you have to think about it. Well, how did that land in the room? How did it land on Timothy's desk and and into his heart? How did it land in the room in the context of the people in that day? Because it's different than today, right? Not much. Not as much as we may think. But it is. And so we have, to, we have to think about, okay, how did it land in that culture? Men, women, kids, whatever, marriages, family. Got to think about that. And so that's the second aspect. And so lastly, however, you need to look at application. So, okay, what are the parallels for today? If that's how the people in that day heard it, and that's what the author actually meant, what does that mean for me today and for us today? How, how does that land? And how can we apply it to our lives? But there's also this, and I learned this many years ago, and uh, do practice it. And, and oftentimes it's like, okay, you're, you're studying it, and it could, it could end up just being a lecture, right? You could get up and it's expositional preaching, which is awesome, which is what we try to do. But then it could, and so there, there's a saying that you, you need to keep reading it and reading it and reading it until the Holy Spirit speaks to the preacher. Until it speaks to the preacher. There's an old saying, if it hasn't preached to the preacher, it won't preach. Let's put that in the positive. If it has preached to the preacher, it's going to preach. Amen? Let's see if that happens. And so I want to tell you, this really preached to me. It's preached to me before. It really has, but it really spoke to me a couple of weeks ago, and, and I want to be able to show you that and share that with you today. What I learned from this passage is that what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to teach Timothy, what he wanted to encourage Timothy with, and about is something I really needed to hear again, again, as a very good reminder. And maybe, my hope is, maybe just some of you here today also need to hear it as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. So let me try to set the stage for you and I here before we look at our text for today. If you read 1st and 2nd Timothy a few times in succession, try it. Just go through 1st Timothy, read through it, you know, one or two days. It takes like literally, <laughs> it'll take you an hour max, 45 minutes, okay? 
You don't even have to be a speed reader. Then read 2 Timothy and then read them again. I think if you do that on a regular basis, after a while, you're going to be thinking to yourself, of all the questions that Timothy had for Paul, it probably would boil down to one really key question that he would be pleading with Paul to answer for him. And then that question would be, Paul, honestly, based on all these things, what am I supposed to do? Anybody ever called dad? <laughs> You're like, help. I, I think that's an incredibly important thing to see. I, I mean, you warned us, Paul, this is Timothy speaking to him. You warned us, remember that little visit we had on the seashore with you and the elders in Ephesus? You warned us that one day fierce wolves were going to come in and divide the flock. Boom, they've arrived. I'm writing you about it. Help, right? And, and so there's first that, right? That, that's happened to him. But also, you know that some of our members have been actually listening to those people and have actually been led astray by some of these people. And, and you also know a few other things. You know that, listen, you know, I'm dealing with a, a bunch of people who are still falling back into their old lifestyle and their old sins. And oh, by the way, there's faithfulness in marriage and there's all kinds of things that we're dealing with here. Help, 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 Right? And, and also, can I just add one more thing? Like, you know, I'm like 32 years of age, and the older dudes in this church are constantly asking me, when's Paul coming to preach? You know, like, they're not showing me any respect. And at the end of the day, he's got to be asking, Paul, what, honestly, honestly, what am I supposed to do about all this? I feel his heart. <laughs> I feel his heart. Anyway... I can just hear him say this or ask this. How about this, Paul? Do you want me to go after these false teachers? Do you want me to dive into all the details, the nitty-gritty of what they're preaching and teaching? You know, all the Gnosticism and the false teaching. Do you want me to do that? Do you want me to, like, read the books and the articles that they're writing and really learn all that stuff and so that I can refute them and I can expose them and then I can challenge everybody in the church not to listen to these people? Do you want me to do that? Notice I got a little excited. Well, is that what I should do, Paul? So as we arrive at these words today, I want to show you that Paul is telling Timothy two things. What to do and what not to do. (laughs) Definitely what not to do. Lots of do's and don'ts. And that's exactly when the Holy Spirit, a couple of weeks, again, tapped me on the chest and said basically this, Glenn, you felt the same way, haven't you, over the years, right? You, you, you've, you've cried out, you've prayed to the Lord to like, what do, I, what do I do? You've called some of your preaching mentors and said, listen, I got this, what, what should I do? But here's the problem, Glenn. You also know at certain times, you thought you knew what to do. Yeah, that's a sign of a dark going right through my heart, right? Hey, every pastor, every Christian can fall prey to that, Amen. You can, because sometimes what we, we, we believe is that, like, it's up to me. I need to be the protector. I need to be the functional savior of people. Well, I think what we're going to see today is that's somebody else's job, not mine or yours. So uh, let me unpack a little bit of this for you so you can see where I'm coming from as we, before we get into the first verses. Over the past 20 to 30 years as a Christian, um, and during my walk, I've kind of fancied myself as a bit of a Bible guy, right? I told you before, I came out of Catholicism and at 23 years of age, and I, I actually started picking up this thing and reading it, and then I heard of people preaching it, and I'm like, 
this is a fascinating book. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's, it says some really amazing, tough stuff, but amazing stuff too. I fancied myself a Bible guy, and I just got into it so deeply. I loved it. But then I also thought of myself you know, as a bit of what they call an apologist. Right? I, I heard the words in Scripture, be ready to give a defense for the truth that is in you. And I was like, sign me up. Right? Like, I'm ready for that. But my, my tact was kind of like, fire, aim, ready. Like, that's kind of the opposite way around, right? It's, never mind. So when we planted the Rock Church 14 years ago, besides, you know, doing what church planters do, you know, you cast some vision, you call men and women to, to join this vision and the mission of Jesus Christ as a church, right? Uh, you preach the word, you raise up leaders, you know, stuff like that. Well, eventually we started to, because the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't like that when that happens in a church. He doesn't. And so eventually we started to encounter some challenges, and specifically not just people questioning the plain reading of the Word of God, but also some false teaching and teachers began to show up. Now, as I've mentioned before, please hear me. In that day, that day it was specifically living, breathing, physical men and women who would be in the church who were false teachers and wolves. And I've said this before. I mean, that does happen today, but it happens in a, in a more devious way, in my opinion, today. It happens outside the church coming into the church. Blog articles, podcasters, books and books and books and books on all of the contentious subject, subjects that, after a plain reading of the scripture, make it difficult for us to believe and to follow. So what do you do, pastor? <laughs> what do you do when that happens? I remember a story uh, that happened, well, an incident that happened a few years ago, and I'm going to share it, and some people who are still with us in our church might remember this, but many, many years ago, I think it was 10, 11, maybe 12 years ago, a person in our church came to me and said, hey, by the way, a friend of mine that goes to another church is reading this particular book, and, uh, and not only that, it's like it's... It, it's, it's getting a lot of attention, and I hear it's really, really good, and, and yet it's maybe, I don't know if it's really something I should be reading, but even their pastors like actually quoting this book in their church and actually kind of preaching sermons from it. And so, you know, like being Pastor Glenn, I'm like, well, I'm going to get the book because that's what they want me to do, right? They want me to advise them on, on whether or not they should read it. And so I bought the book, and I'm just, bear with me until the end because I'm going to give you a, hopefully a, a helpful point on this. But I read the book, I was three chapters in, and I went, this guy's a universalist. Like three chapters into the book, I was like, boom, this guy's a universalist. So what's that? Well, there are three main uh, beliefs of, that people take from the scripture about hell. There is a little literal hell, and it isn't going to be nice. There's another form called annihilationism, which is like, well, yes, there's going to be a, a hell, and people are going to be judged and go there for a while, but then eventually snuffed out. So that's the end of that. But then there's the universalist belief, which is, well, God is love. <laughs> and God's love will win. What's the book? Love Wins, Rob Bell. It's universalism. It cannot be supported by the scripture at all. A lot of people believed that book and began following that book. Bell was a prominent figure in what was called at that time the emergent church, actually beginning in the early 2000s, which has now morphed into progressive Christianity. That's what it's morphed into. So as your pastor, listen, I have to confess to you, I'm confessing here, 
Um, I have to confess to you that over the past 10 years, and due to the rapid increase and availability of so much false teaching that is available, I have, at times, spent a lot of time. Here's the confession. Too much time (laughs) digging into these things. Well, why? Again, why? Well, because I'm I'm a shepherd of the flock. I I, I love the sheep. I, I want to protect them. Well, it's been too much. And so I've, I've read a bunch of books uh, by people I strongly believed even before I read the book were probably false teachers. And so why would I do that? Well, as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a propensity I think that most pastors have, and actually many of you have, is that, well, you want to protect your friend. You, you want to you investigate so that you can, you can pull them back from the brink. Ever happened to you? So... This is our job as pastors, shepherds, is to protect the flock. But at the end of the day, Paul has some very encouraging words for Timothy and for Pastor Glenn and for Christian you here today. So here's what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me two weeks ago, and it's what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to say to Timothy and will say to Timothy today. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Don't literally waste your time is what I heard Paul saying to Timothy, and by extension, to me. And so let's look at some of his very practical advice on that. Beginning in verse 6, he says this. I think my introduction was almost as large, long as Rudy's, wasn't it? Just I'd point that out. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, Timothy, and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. So this is Paul's first to-do. He says, put these things. Well, what, what are these things? What could they possibly be? Well, um, these things that are written in here, it, it, these things in the Word of God, as, as we're going to see, he's, he's always been repeating this to Timothy. It's the things about he's telling Timothy to do personally and that we're going to see then he wants him to command and teach these things. So first it's about him putting these things first, but also then commanding and teaching them first to others or secondly to others. I I love the words that follow. Look at this. He says, do this and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Pastor Glenn, every other pastor on the planet, do this and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. (laughs) It's so simple, but it's very encouraging. It's very encouraging. And yet, again, the propensity, I think, sometimes for all of us, whether you're a pastor or any kind of ministry team leader or our brother or sister that loves another brother or sister, it's, it's like we end up feeling like, well, I have to serve man. I have to serve their needs and their interests. And so, and again, I have to become somehow their protector. So Paul then reminds Timothy that, look, this word, he says, you were trained. He was trained. And first, look, he was trained in the words of faith, which is the gospel. It's a euphemism for the gospel. And we know, as we'll see next, next year, uh, in January, Lord willing, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that Timothy heard the gospel of faith. He heard this word of faith from his mother, Eunice. I particularly love that because my mom, who's no longer with us, her name was, by the way, she pronounced it Eunice. Very important. Okay. 
if you wanted to be in her good graces, and his grandmother, Lois, both who were Jewish women. His father, we understand, was a Gentile, was not a believer. And so he was schooled in the gospel by his two Jewish mothers, a mother and grandmother, who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that was his foundation, the word of faith, the gospel he got. And then Timothy was trained in good or sound doctrine. By who? By the apostle Paul. He, he went to seminary for 10 years before being placed in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. And so Paul's reminding him, look, you, 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 your faith was established thanks to your mom and your grandmother. You heard the gospel, you responded to the gospel, and then I have trained you in sound doctrine. Now, the Greek word for being trained is one word in the Greek, but it's been translated in ESV anyway as being trained. And, and it literally means, or is literally the word nourished, nourished, being fed. And so what we could literally say is Timothy's diet was, is in the word of God, in sound doctrine. And so finally, look at these important words. Timothy, that you have followed. Hey, you ever slipped up? (laughs) Pastor, Christian, just a, a, a really kind reminder that you have followed. I've observed you following. So has your mother and your grandmother. Keep your chin up. Keep your chin up, Timothy. I love the way he does that to encourage him. So this is an encouragement and also a reminder. That is what got you here, Timothy. That's what got you here. And yeah, you and your flock are being attacked by the enemy. It's not flesh and blood that we war against at all. So the first to-do and lesson for Timothy, myself, and you is this. Stay focused on the Word of God. Stay focused on the word of God. He goes on in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. See that? There's a do not and a do. It's, It's very direct. And so here we have it. Do not do this. Don't do what every pastor is tempted to do, every Christian is tempted to do from time to time. Don't waste any of your time on those things. Don't train yourself up to be the greatest apologist. Now, some of you were saying, well, why not? The world needs more apologists. I would agree with you. I love what Rudy, the illustration he gave last week was when he was, I think, in his 20s, and someone, a buddy, had introduced to him the book by Richard Dawkins, God is Great, uh, God, God Delusion, pardon me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Rudy and said, you're not an apologist yet, Rudy. Not yet, Rudy. Not yet. He, he, he confessed back in that time. He probably hadn't even read through one gospel, let alone the whole Bible. And so the, the, the word that came to him was not yet. And some people, I, I feel like they, they feel like that's the thing. You become a Christian and, and you've got this atheist friend and now you need to become the apologist. And so you spend your time schooling yourself on the false beliefs of atheism and this. And so it's not just false teachers about Christian doctrine, although that is false teaching about Christian doctrine, atheists basically believe there is no God, to which God says in his word, they're fools. But that's the, the, and let me suggest this to you. I, I, like, I love apologetics. I still do. That's not my call. That's not my call. I'm not actually trained in that. Could I, could I give a good argument for certain things? I hope so. I'm trying to do that this morning for you. I'm called to preach. That's what I'm called to do. And so if you want to know some really good apologists out there, I would suggest read the, the late, great Francis Schaeffer. 
you know, read, read some of his works. If, 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 I don't care whether you're a man or woman, you should follow Elisa Childers, a, a woman who's got a few biblical degrees and is one of the finest apologists in our day. Nancy Piercy, and I also recommend, read her, listen to her. Great apologist. But you need to be careful. I need to be careful that we don't go there when we're not fully trained. So rather, Paul's saying, do this. Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. This is Paul's first to-do for Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, for you to be a leader, an effective pastor of the flock of God, you must train yourself first. It's got to start with you. You have to be immersed in this. You have to be practicing this. It has to be visibly, like people have to see that you're growing in your knowledge of God's word and in your walk with God's word, your practice of it. Your first, you first must be committed follower of Christ. So, so he's basically saying, look, take care of yourself. Make sure you look at those qualifications of an elder one more time and, and the character traits. Make, make sure but stay in the word, follow the word. He goes on to say this in verses 8 and 9. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Emphasis. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying, the saying, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now the Greek word here for the word training is a great word. It's pronounced in the, in the Greek, guzmaias which is, if you saw it spelled out, it's actually like gymnasium, right? And that's where we get the word gymnasium from, is this word in the Greek for training. We get it there. So I got a question for you. That's a fantastic metaphor, as we'll see, but I got a question for you. Ever had a gym membership? Ever had a gym membership that you actually used? <laughs> yeah, okay, go on. Let's confess here, okay? <clears throat> Put all that money out there and they don't use it. Like, I remember when I was a kid, when I was back in my slightly more athletic days, uh, in my 20s, a long time ago. But I remember I got my first fancy tracksuit, right? It was a, a shiny blue Adidas tracksuit. You know, with the, the three lines down the shoulders and all the, the arms and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, man. I put that on and my runner's on and I already felt buff. That is not how it works, right? You, you can pick up one of these and take it to church with you and it's not how it works. That is not how it works. But we can, we can, we want to maybe try that. So no, you have to commit to listen. Thousands upon thousands of hours, and I love sport, so I'll give you a couple of illustrations of that. You got to, you got to commit to thousand, ten thousand hours, they say minimum, to be proficient or excellent at any particular sport. Hockey's my favorite. Remember one time I was in White Rock, and I think it was Matt. Matt was playing in a game. And I'm sitting out there with the ice is all cleaned, and I'm sitting there, and there's this guy out there. He's like 25, 30 feet, maybe 20, 25 feet from the, 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 the goal net, and he's got like 200 pucks in front of him, and he's just wearing a track suit, and, and he's got the stick, right? And he's ringing the first puck off the right post and in. You know, dink, in. Next one, left post, in. Like, and he, he hardly missed a post and in. I'm watching like 30, 40, 50 pucks, and I'm like, this guy's good. <laughs> like, who could this guy be? He turns around, and as he's skating off the ice, I'm going, it's Joe Sackick. One of my favorite players, Colorado Avalanche. It was during the NHL player strike, and so what is he doing? He's practicing. By 35 years of age, people uh, have done studies, 
and they believe by 35 years of age, Tiger Woods, one of the greatest golfers of all time, had hit over a million golf balls. <laughs> I could see some golfers through him going, oh, that's a lot of balls, right? That's a lot of, right? But that's what it takes. It takes hours and hours. And so people will give themselves to that. We will give ourselves to things like that. And so we need to understand that that's also necessary when it comes to the Word of God. And that's what Paul is getting at with Timothy. He's basically saying your training, your nourishing needs to be, you need to be fed by the Word of God. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So here we have a few more do's. Do toil, do strive. Those are very strong words in the original language. It means work hard. Full dedication, man. You really have to work hard. And again, I've got to tell you, some days you get up and I need to go into this and I need to start writing a sermon and I'm looking at Janice going, I'm going for a walk. It's, not, it's hard work. It's really hard work. I love it. Don't get me wrong. Don't feel, don't feel bad for me. I really do love it. But it's, it really is hard work. And that's what he's getting at here. We have, we have great hope. Our hope, he's telling us here, is the one who has, and listen, at the end of the day, will deal with all false teaching. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will judge all things. He will look after that, Timothy. He will look after that, Glenn. He really will. You're not to be judge of other people. And it's for those who believe, which is the end of our labor. The beautiful conclusion that we see there is that if we labor in the word, if we labor in these things, we will have life, present tense, today, and we will have eternal life. That's a promise that the word of God can give to the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the savior of all people, not you, Timothy, definitely not you, Glenn. He is the savior of all people. And uh, yeah, I, I just, these words are so encouraging. The last part of it is, is that well, you see what he says there. He says, you know, basically he says, listen, Timothy, I want to I show you this. We're in this together. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to you to exhort you and, and, and to encourage you and so forth. But listen, same thing. I'm in prison right now. Do you know that? I, I'm writing to encourage you because, listen, we're in this together. Verses 11 and 12, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. There's where we get that. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and in purity. So Paul exhorts Timothy to command and teach these things. What things again? The Bible, the word of God. Not your advice, Timothy. Definitely not yours, Glenn. Teach them that. The words of faith you learned from your youth, from your mother and your grandmother, teach them the gospel. Preach the gospel. And sound doctrine that you learn from me. Command people to hear the word, command them to believe the word, and command them to do the word. You love having someone tell you what to do, don't you? That's what he's telling him to do. But he adds this. But it must also, listen, listen Timothy, for that to have any weight whatsoever, it's going to have to be evident in your own life. It really is going to have to be evident in your own life and your walk. The way that you speak, the way you behave, your conduct, both of these must be in love, faith, and purity. Holy Spirit, help. We need help. We really, really do. Verse 13. 
simple verse, but again, I love this verse. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. I've often said this, I think I said it in our missional community group this past week, and I'm not joking or trying to be funny, but if all we did on a Sunday morning was to read a letter, some scripture for 35, 40 minutes, it would be a good sermon. It's, it's Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. It's a good sermon. Now, it's, the reason why preaching is required in the church is we need to unpack it. We need to learn about what he meant to say and how it was received and so on and so forth. But that would be a great sermon. But I also love this. Paul is essentially trying to remind Timothy and every other pastor on the planet you basically have one job. <laughs> you basically have one job. And we're going to see it again in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. They'll be on screen, screen for you. He says this. And, and again, let me remind you, Timothy, preach the word. Just preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, to rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In other words, keep doing it. Don't give up. No matter what happens, no matter how many people walk away, Keep preaching the word of God. And then he says, he keeps bringing this up. I don't know why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I just want to focus on that word accumulate for a minute. My experience over the past 10, 15 years, actually over my whole Christian life, is that I've known many people, whether it's about Christian theology or about, you know, even the ways of the world, people will accumulate on based on a subject that they think is really crucial to their understanding of the Bible or their understanding of life. They'll accumulate teachings and books and bookmarks and all the rest of it in that area a lot. Why? Because they're struggling to trust the Word of God. That's Why? And that's a sign. That should be a sign to all of us. And then he says to Timothy, as for you, Timothy, Christian, I would, I would add, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Verses 14 and 15 in chapter 4, we back to, it says this, do not neglect the gift you, you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I've already covered some of that, right, in what we've looked at to this point. But again, he's, he's talking about, I want to encourage you, Timothy, you have a gift. We all noticed it. I and all the other elders who laid hands on you put you in Ephesus because we believe you've got what it takes, that you've got the Holy Spirit, that you've got the gift. What's the gift? He was an anointed preacher of God's word, but he's 32, He's only preached 30 sermons, right? or I don't know how many, but and older men are going, yeah, Paul's better. Let's get Paul back. Just trying to encourage him. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see that, that this is, this is your calling, my son, I think is what Paul is saying to him. I want to remind you that. I want to remind you that. Verse 16 closes out the chapter. One more reminder, Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself. Guard your heart. Be pure. Be holy. Confess your sin. And on the teaching. Persist in this. For I do, by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We know that I don't save anybody. Timothy doesn't save anyone. But what does? The word of God. <laughs> 
the Holy Spirit of God. So preach it, teach it, live it out, put it on display. That's what people need to see. People need to see. As we conclude this morning, I, I want to repeat a phrase that I started using a few weeks ago uh, as we were about to go into some controversial for some of us. Come on, it's okay. Teaching in the Bible, men's and women's roles. Hello, right? I, I remember saying to us in the room for that Sunday and the next Sunday that followed, let's examine what the Word of God says just in its plain reading. Let's just do that, okay? So I want to encourage all of us here today to continually do that as a church. That's the reason why we're doing 1 Timothy. That is why we're going through 1 Timothy. That is why we've provided you with booklets and study guides so that you can go into missional community group and be iron that sharpens iron and, and work through it together. That's why we're doing that. But also I want to encourage some of you, I'm, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I know it was me about a year and a half, two years ago, I started unsubscribing to a lot of different podcasts and various blogs and articles that I was following. Articles and podcasts I was listening because I'm worried about people. I unsubscribed. I want to encourage some of you. Maybe that's exactly what you need to do as well today. If you, if you hear the words or read the words, maybe we've read the, wrong, the Bible wrong related to this subject. Can I encourage you one thing? Walk away. Unsubscribe. Put the book down. That's, a, that's, that's something that's... It's a sign, actually. Here's the thing. Here's what's going to happen. If, if you devote yourself to that, and that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, is if you devote yourself to having to figure out all those things, you're going to spend four or five hours a week doing that that you're not spending in the Word of God. That's the key point. Terry Virgo is a man that Janice and I had uh, dinner with him and his wife about six, seven years ago in Vancouver. Godly, godly church planter pastor in England, uh, started New Frontiers, planted over 2,500 churches around the world. Well, he didn't, but New Frontiers did. And we, we, had, we had dinner with him, a wonderful man. I want to read you what he posted last week on social media. I follow some good people too. That's who I only keep now these days. He said this, if we find the Bible's teaching frustrating, or as some say hurtful, because it cuts across our personal ambitions, motives, or desires, is that a good reason to try to adjust it? the word of God? He adds, shouldn't we rather thank God for shedding his light into our darkness, his wisdom into our confusion? I, I like to repeat myself because maybe, maybe sometimes I just need to hear it, but we started saying something uh, many years ago when we planted the Rock Church that our hope and dream for the Rock Church was basically two things. The, the, the first was is that we would be a Bible teaching church. That was our hope and dream. Well, we are. But, but I also hope that we would become then, out of that, a Bible-believing church. Amen, right? So I'm praying about it in the last couple of weeks because I wanted to tell you that this morning, and then the Holy Spirit said to me, Glenn, there's one more. <laughs> you should be hoping and dreaming about one more thing. And he said, you should be hoping and dreaming that we would become a Bible-living church. Amen? An illustration I'll leave you with that uh, has been used many times, but I think it's very appropriate here. Anyone heard of Frank Abagnale? Movie Catch Me If You Can. Story of a great fraud artist, counterfeiter. Gets captured, goes to jail. When he's released, he starts working for the FBI. They ask him to train their FBI agents on how to detect counterfeit bills. He goes, fine, I'll do that. He shows up for the first day of work. They got tables full of counterfeit bills. Abagnale says to them, get rid of those. 
What do you, what do you get rid of those? He says, bring me real, real, old and new $20 bills. For three months, he trained the FBI agents to feel, <laughs> to smell these 20, to look at them in the light and whatever. Over and over and over, three months, when they were tested, the vast majority, the 96% of them, uh, the vast majority, pardon me, were able to 96% of the time detect a counterfeit bill within 60 seconds. Rob Bell, that book, how did I know? How, how did I know? Within th- and I'm not, I know this book on that subject because I've read this book. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do today. This here, this word of God is the real deal. He's left it for you. He's left it for me. Question is, have you read it? Have you read all of it? Are you going to it every day? It's the manual for life. It is. It is the manual for life. And I believe, and I hope you do too, you can trust it. Why? You can trust the author. You can trust the author. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, Once again, for your many, many blessings for us. Um, Lord, today I, I want to, and I, I feel we all want to just, we just want to thank you that here we are, um, 2,000 years out, um, we have this collection, 66 books, we have it. We have it in multiple translations, and probably in many of our Christian homes, we have it in multiple books, like several different translations printed, and we have it on our phones and tablets, and we have complete access to it. Oh, Lord, so my prayer, my, my dream, and my hope for everyone here today, everyone hearing this message in our church, but everywhere, is that we would be Bible-believing and Bible-living Christians. And so, Lord, I, I hope and I pray, I pray that you would just encourage us, that you would do a mighty, mighty work, Holy Spirit, in our hearts, that we would hunger, that, that our diet every day, that we would be nourished by your word. Just read it. Just like we do, Lord, on, on Tuesday mornings at prayer time where we read a passage like 15, 20, 25 verses and then we just pause and we, there's no sermon. We, we just together meditate on it. And then you, Holy Spirit, speaks to one of us or the other and, and we share what, what stands out for us from your word. And it's amazing. Every week, I always leave, we leave refreshed in our spirits. So, Lord, I pray for our body, I pray for our church, that that would become something that would really resonate in our hearts and in our lives for the rest of this year and in the years ahead. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.